If you would take your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read the first 15 verses. You follow along in your copy of God's Word, and I'll read out loud as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, the second letter, in beginning in verse, uh, chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Writes this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable, according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, and and that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack." We thank the Lord for his word, that he has inspired it and preserved it for us this morning, and we have asked his blessing on it. This passage we just read in 2 Corinthians sees Paul wanting the Corinthian church to complete a gift that they were preparing for the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is in need, or some in the church are in need. It is possible that they may be undergoing persecution and Because of their conversion to Christianity, they are not receiving any help from their community, their Jewish community, or family members. Paul writes of this collection to the Jerusalem church in other parts of the New Testament. In Romans 15, verses 25 through 27, he says, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution For the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Other churches in the region or in other regions are gathering resources together to help the believers in another city, in the city where Christianity began. 
The beauty of the collection is that it's being raised by Gentile Christians for Jewish Christians. Notice that Paul wrote in Romans 15 that they owed it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings of the Jewish Christians, they are also to be of service to them in material blessings. Gentile Christians are reaching out and raising a sort of fund for the Jewish Christians. And there is no doubt, as we see in Acts, that some Jewish Christians, Christians do not believe that the gospel has gone to the Gentiles or that Gentiles can truly be Christians at all. And the irony is that the Gentile Christians are being moved by the grace of God in their lives to help sustain and minister grace to the Jewish Christians who might not believe that they're Christians at all. This gift from the churches is for the relief of the saints, but is all because of the grace of God that he gives to his people and that flows from the gospel. As we look at our text this morning, there's just two points. First is that generosity is a gift of grace from God. Generosity is a gift of grace that comes from God. Paul is writing the church in Corinth about the grace of God that is so evident in the churches in Macedonia. He says, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. It's grace that you can actually see. Here's a physical manifestation of grace. Paul does not take the opportunity here to command the Corinthians to give generously to Jewish Christians in need. He doesn't demand that they do something. Instead, he says, see what they're doing and see the grace of God that is evident in them. Earlier in the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul had told the church to start collecting. He says in verse 1 of chapter 16, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper. So there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. We get from this a sort of collecting when we gather on the first day of the week. We come and as each has, as he says, prospered. As God has given to us, so we also set something aside and store it up. And it's an opportunity for us, in the same way the churches were doing in 1 Corinthians, to be able to minister grace to others, to further the gospel work, to be able to accomplish the Lord's will. It's all of grace that generosity flows from. It's all of grace that God moves in us, and as he did the churches of Macedonia, to be ones who are generous. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is telling them, the believers in Corinth, of another region of churches who are giving, and the grace that is evident in the manner in which they give. Notice the wording that Paul uses when he speaks of the churches in Macedonia. Did you see it as we read? The, what seems to be some contradictory phrases beginning in verse 2, he gives these phrases, a severe test of affliction. Churches of Macedonia are in themselves in a severe test of affliction. The 
The other phrase, abundance of joy. Those two don't already seem to go together, do they? Severe test of affliction and abundance of joy. But notice the third one, their extreme poverty. You know anybody who's gone through severe test of affliction, extreme poverty, and yet is marked by an abundance of joy. Other phrases that mark the Macedonian churches uh, that they gave beyond their means. They were begging us earnestly for the opportunity to show grace and to serve the saints. Paul's writing here is saying that only God can move us to look outside of ourselves. It is grace. He, he doesn't say, look at the in- incredible work that the Macedonian churches have done, but he marks it. This is the grace of God that has been shown. One author writes, grace is God's unconditional benevolence towards us. And when people are spontaneously generous towards others, Paul takes it as clear evidence that God's grace is working in and through them. The gift of money uh, to others is a visible sign of invisible grace. You see, the church in Macedonia is noted for the grace of God evident in their giving to the Jerusalem church. When you look at all those phrases that seem to stand contradictory to each other, we begin to realize that wealth must not always mean money. Their extreme poverty, their abundance of joy, their wealth of generosity must not always be tied How can you be joyful when you have no material wealth? What is wealth anyway? And what does it mean to be rich in God's economy? These are questions for us to be thinking of. To see a church and the response when they hear of another region of churches in need. They're in extreme poverty. They're in the midst of tribulation and testing themselves. And yet they find it the greatest of joy to be able to give to others. What a mark of grace that God is showing in the lives of believers. People who on our own nature would be stingy. Who would want to hoard for ourselves that we might maintain security and safety. We want to make sure that we're going to have enough through the pandemic. We don't know how long this thing is going to go, do we? So what was the first thing that we saw when COVID came? Toilet paper being hoarded, right? By the, not the roll, by the package. Costco is out. Folks, when Costco is out of anything, we're in trouble worldwide, probably. All of a sudden, and and we take it as planning ahead, preparation, we're being wise stewards. And no doubt, some of that is absolutely true. And yet the abundance of joy for the Macedonian churches is not tied to money. And poverty is not tied to stinginess. Just because one is poor does not necessitate they have to be stingy and frugal. And simply because one is rich does not mean that they have wealth. It seems like these terms are used in a different way in God's economy. Paul is appealing to the Corinthians on the grace of God that continues to be richly poured out in the lives of Christians. Paul's approach to fundraising is grounded in solid theological principles And the desire is that it leads the Corinthians to ask themselves, 
Where is the evidence of grace that God has given to us? If this is what the Macedonian churches are doing, where is God's grace being evidenced in our lives? Brothers and sisters, often churches and other church leaders would always want you to believe that it has to deal directly to money. Where is God's grace evident in your life? It's evidenced in your giving. So you must give resources to this church or organization or TV program. But where is God's grace evident to us? It absolutely can be in the giving of our resources, of our money and our time, of our relationships. It absolutely can be in the generosity that springs up out of one who is naturally stingy. It is interesting that Paul, when he's writing, does not say that their generosity on behalf of the Macedonians lifted their tribulations and troubles. It didn't lighten their affliction. It didn't remove their deep poverty. Their giving this amazing gift to the Jerusalem church didn't all of a sudden release them from any of the poverty or difficulties that they were going through. Instead, it opens their hearts and their purse strings to others. God's grace opens our hearts and our purse strings to see others in their need, not merely focusing on our need. Paul is not stooping to any gimmicks in fundraising. He's not trying to raise a larger amount by inciting competition between churches. See, the Macedonians did this. Brothers and sisters, you want to do more? You guys know what that's like, to all of a sudden feel like you're just in in a gimmick. There's a little thermometer in the lobby, and you're hoping it gets to the top. He's not trying to raise a larger amount, inciting competition to see who can raise the most and then give a trophy to the church or the region who does the best. The amount does not matter. In God's economy, it's never the amount that he is looking for. It's the spirit behind the giving. That's what matters. In the Old Testament, the giving of the people of God, the people of Israel, is a tithe. We like to think that it's only 10%. When you begin to look at Israel and all they're commanded to give, it's probably well over 20 to 25%. I don't see anybody clamoring to follow that Old Testament law. We like the 10% because we get to keep nine-tenths of what is left. But brothers and sisters, the New Testament does not require a tenth tithe. Nowhere in the New Testament do we see Jesus coming and saying, you must give 10% of your income to the local church. In fact, Jesus actually, when he's on earth, is mocking the Pharisees because they tithed everything and yet missed the point. You see, you can tithe of every piece of money that you get. I don't, if you grew up in church, you might have been asked to tithe of birthday checks or something. Grandma gave you $25. How much is that that goes to Jesus? You're a normal eight-year-old. You're going, none. I want to keep all my money. Don't look at me like I'm the only one who would say that. (laughs) Jesus is mocking the Pharisees. They tithe everything and miss the point. He says to them, woe to you. It's never good in the New Testament when Jesus says, woe to you. (laughs) Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and cumin, spices even, and yet you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. 
you blind guides, straining out a gnat and following a camel. It's good to give to the Lord. Don't neglect that, but you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're missing the point. Giving is not a percentage that is required. It is the grace of God that moves the heart to give joyfully to the will of God and His cause. It is the heart of the Christian who, res- who recognizes everything that I have been given is grace. And if God would allow, we'd want to give nine-tenths instead of just a tenth. One chapter over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes this in verse 6. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Brothers and sisters, our giving, our generosity, is a grace that God works in us. When we work to be generous to others, either financially or in regards to any other resource that we may have, it is God's grace and nothing else. It is not for us to be able to boast of the amount that we're able to give to the Lord. He sees our hearts. And it is a matter of faith as we trust in God the one who gives all things already, the one who is able to make all grace abound to you. Our giving is an act of faith, and it is all of God's grace. Notice, though, that they, this comes as the church of Macedonia. It says in verse 5, And this, not as we expected, but the Macedonian believers gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Their priority was first to give themselves. It doesn't say their contribution, but to give themselves first to the Lord. One author wrote, generosity stems from devotion to Christ. The closer one grows in their relationship with Jesus, the more sensitive they are to the grace of God that moves them to give and that trusts Him to provide. Generosity stems from devotion to Christ, they gave themselves to the Lord first. They've excelled in every area, faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness. Some said that these are spiritual gifts. The Corinthians were ones known for these different gifts and their desire to excel in some spiritual gifts. And yet here, excel in this grace. You, you Corinthians, want to speak in tongues so bad. You Corinthians want to do this so bad. Where's your generosity? Where's the act of grace that loves one another and that trusts in God to provide? We know we must exhibit faith. We know we must speak words that honor and please the Lord, that we must have zeal in our relationship with Christ. But do we have the same confidence that we must be generous in our giving and excel in this act of grace also. We will never say a percent here at Calvary. I will never say you must give a certain percentage here at Calvary. 
Because I think while in the Old Testament law, we are probably taking it out of context to then all of a sudden come and apply it to the New Testament church and demand that we must give a certain percentage and that alone. Brothers and sisters, give as God is leading you to give. Give as often as God is leading you to give. Give to whom God is leading you to give and give wisely. Give discerningly. Not every Christian organization out there that is asking for your money is worthy of God's kingdom dollars. And yet give according as God has given to us and as he calls us to give, each according to their own means. Let me give this illustration. There was a a man that we knew uh, around the Eugene, Oregon area, and uh, he had grown up homeless, he and his sister, and were survivors. They had found a way to make it on their own, and I don't remember if he's bouncing from foster home to foster home or not, but it seemed like a lot of time as a kid was spent on his own, finding their own place to, to be, finding his own work, and that type of thing. But the guy was incredibly gifted, and he became a construction worker, and then all of a sudden began to own a business, and in due time, around 18 or 20 years old or so, he meets a girl and they like each other. They date for a while. They get married. She's an heiress of hundreds of millions of dollars. I didn't know such a thing existed in uh, Oregon outside of, well, outside of like the Silicon Forest up in Hillsboro and Intel and stuff. But she's an heiress. All of this money at her disposal and her parents are non-believers and she's an only child. So, likely, unless they donate all of the money to a charity, is going to go to her and her husband. And guess what? One day, they hear the gospel, and those two come to faith in Christ. They have children. And guess what? He said, instead of wanting to just give all of my money to my children when I die, they don't need hundreds of millions of dollars. I want to take care of my children, but we want to advance the kingdom of God more. And so using money that comes from non-believers to advance and further the kingdom of God was his desire with this money, whether he ever saw it or not. That was his heart's desire. Because it's more important to be able to advance the kingdom of God than merely make someone rich who ought not to be rich. It's not the most beneficial thing to leave hundreds of millions of dollars to a child. And so thinking wisely, even as we give now, And as we desire to give in the future, as we desire to give, I was thinking about this the other day, the most money that will ever come from my pockets will be when I die. You ever think about that? Probably the most money you'll ever give to somebody in your lifetime and one time will be when you die and they're reading your will there with a lawyer and they see how much you might have left them or have in a life insurance policy or something. Maybe many of us are worth more dead than alive because of life insurance. And yet, what is it that we plan to do with what it is that God has given to us? How do we plan to use even our end-of-life funds to think in a kingdom-oriented way, to see the grace of God evidenced in us now and for all of eternity, in life and in death? Generosity is a gift of grace that comes from God. Number two, generosity flows from the gospel. Notice as Paul continues on, I say this not as a command, verse 8, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. As he continues on, he's wanting them to show genuine love towards the Jerusalem believers to actually finish what it is that they've started. 
So they've started this collection, and it seems as though maybe they're dragging their feet on it. They wanted to be generous to help others, and time has elapsed. If you've ever been in a church building process, like program, the sermon series happens on Nehemiah usually, and that thermometer gets like two-thirds of the way full, and then it's that last third that takes years, and people get tired, and people are done hearing every Sunday, give, 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 right? Maybe that's what's happening. We want you to finish this gift that you have said you were going to give, this grace that has seen, we want you to follow through on it. Show your love to them. Your love is genuine, but it just isn't rooted in genuine love for others, but he roots it in the gospel, and so is our generosity. Notice as he continues in verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here becomes all of a sudden this switch. Jesus was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you who were poor in your poverty might become rich. The great exchange. Christ comes, who is rich in righteousness, fully righteous, comes to the poor, the one who is destitute and lowly, who is dead in his trespasses and sins. And the great exchange comes in Christ's righteousness, takes the place of this person's sins, and they are substituted. So now this Christian who has put their faith and trust in Jesus, becomes rich for all of eternity, as we read in Ephesians 1 when I prayed. And Jesus himself became poor, made himself just like us. And in becoming like us, laid aside all of heavenly uh, possessions that he had in glory to become the God-man, fully God and fully man, to die for our sins. That's the work of the gospel. When we believe the gospel, when we trust in the work of the gospel on our behalf, as much as we can't fully even comprehend why he would have done it, Christ was made poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. One church father says, he took the form of a servant that we might regain liberty. He descended that we might be exalted. He was tempted that we might overcome. He was despised that he might fill us with glory. He died that we might be saved. He ascended to draw to himself those lying prostrate on the ground through sin's stumbling block. Why are we generous? Because it's a gift of grace and because the gospel is true. The gospel is true, then I know what eternity, what lies ahead in eternity and what eternity holds for us. And because the gospel is true, I know that in God's economy, that it is not equal to the earth's economy, that to be rich here is often to be poor in heaven. And sometimes to be poor here is to be rich for all of eternity. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where things can destroy it, thieves can steal it, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We became rich in Christ. It's only by God's grace that we can be generous And it's only in the gospel that we can have rich uh, wealth for all of eternity, be rich for all of eternity. He continues to move these believers that the gospel is true. This is what God has done for you. So don't hold on to your money, but continue to do as you desired to do. Generosity moved by the gospel actually gives to those in need. It just doesn't talk about it. 
So much in our culture is uh, virtue signaling. You have to do this or say this just to be approved by people most likely that you have never met before. Don't just do that. Don't just talk a good game. But generosity actually moves forward and actually follows through. One person gives an old adage that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Follow through. Giving is not just a good idea, but generosity is because of the gospel. It actually sends the check, helps those in need, actually spends time with others. As we looked at the last few verses, he, he gives this word that in your first read, your initial reading might cause you a little bit of a stomach churning like maybe it did for me. Use the word several times, fairness. That you give out of the abundance of what you have to supply their need so that they'll, out of their abundance, at some point supply your need. That's the body of Christ. That's Acts 2 through 4, where we see the body supplying one another's needs, helping one another. And in those days, it was because the church was being persecuted. And as they're persecuted, they don't have resources to fall back on. And so the body is helping one another, selling property to be able to sustain each other. But here in verse 14, he says, that there may be fairness. And the word is more that there may be equality. We are one one another the same in Christ. And we are one another been given the same in Christ. You see, God doesn't look at us and see different income levels. He looks at, again, our hearts. And he sees that you and I are wrapped up in the person of Christ. Ephesians 1, when we read it, didn't say some of you are given all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, and some of you a little bit less, and others even more. There's no distinguishing between us in light of eternity. When God has brought the gospel to us, as verse 15 says, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. There was sufficient supply, and God provided all of their needs. All of it is of grace, and it flows from the gospel. Paul does not ask the Macedonians to uh, ask the Corinthians to do as the Macedonians did and go beyond their means. But he says for them to give according to their means. I think this is important because he says they're not to go, taking that in summary, they're not to go into debt, to become disadvantaged or overburdened, he says. Paul's goal is not unreasonable. He's not trying to raise record amounts. His instruction is to set aside a sum of money each week. He knows he's dealing with people who have limited resources And a significant amount will only be accumulated over time. Whatever they give generously, he assures them, is acceptable to God. God does not expect the widow's might. That when we give generously, it means giving all that you have to live on. But God does expect generosity and giving gifts without a begrudging spirit. What matters to God only is in the giver's heart. In the Corinthians' case, the smallest gift is greater than the grandest intention that never goes fulfilled. What is it that God is calling us to give? It is a means of His grace that is evident in us even to step out and to give to someone else in need or to give to an endeavor not our own. That is grace. And it flows from the gospel. The ability to follow through 
comes because we reckon and we believe in the gospel. The gospel has come to us in the person of Jesus. And it is the work of the gospel that we get to this morning celebrate. As we remember the work that Jesus has done for us, we get to celebrate the work of Christ on the cross. I'm going to read just a few verses from 1 Corinthians 11 as we move into the Lord's Supper. Paul writes in the first letter to the Corinthian church, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.